Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, let's look at this, that the first verse. This is where we started. And we last week we, we were primarily in 2 Timothy 3 about the nature of mankind today. But we started in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion is light with darkness? And uh, the New Living Translation says, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness and how can light live with darkness? Or how can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership, that's war. And, and I want to, but I want to throw this caution out because it's really easy when we go through, because 2 Timothy um, starts out in, in chapter 3, and in the last days, perilous times will come, times of great stress. And then it says, for men will be, and that, that addresses mankind, not males. And it gives all of these traits, and, and it's, we really saw, and I'm going to run through the, the ones we looked at last week, we really do see that this is kind of the nature of our world that we live in right now. But the, the trap that we, we have as we go through things like this is we have the temptation to fixate on, well, yeah, that really describes these people. Or you're thinking of some Christian you know and you're thinking, wow, I wish they were here to hear this. They need to hear this. What we need to do, and, and I, I've been listening a lot to Robert Morris lately. Uh, the man just has a lot of wisdom. And he ends every service with this one little thought. Lord, what have you said to me today? And that's what I, I want to preface everything we're going to say today is we don't need to be looking at these traits. They are traits of the world out there today. Worldly men and women, this is exactly how they are, and it's getting worse and worse. But what we need to do as believers, as we need to look at ourselves and, and say, are there any of these traits that tend to creep up in me? Because let's be honest, sinners just do what sinners do. Pigs mate and have baby pigs. Pigs act like pigs. Sheep ought to mate and give birth to sheep. But unfortunately, sometimes our sheep, because we used to be pigs and now we're sheep, we, we tend to want to go back and go back to the walla. And, you know, I've said it before. I, I grew up on a farm. We raised cattle. And sheep are the dumbest, stinkingest animals God ever created. If you don't believe me, just take a wool sweater, take an old one, dampen it, put it in a Ziploc bag, throw it in the back of your closet for about six months, and then come back and open it up and take a big swift, you know, big sniff. That sheep, it's what they smell like all the time. They look pretty when you see pictures. That's because you don't get the smell. We need to make sure that we're not smelling like natural sheep are. God didn't compliment us when he called us sheep. 
But let's read through these real quick, and, and I'm going to go through. This is New King James. I, I love the, the, the message, very first verse, it says, Don't be naive. That's exactly what we need to work against. But in, in starting in verse 2 in the New King James, it said, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. He describes our world. Now we went and looked, and, and I, I changed all the orders because I grouped them by um, commonalities. And the first two we looked at were the two lovers. It's, it uses the word philos, which means brotherly love, and it pairs them with the word, the first one is um, autos, which means self, and the second one is um, agragros, which means silver. So it literally says people out there today are self-centered and money-centered, or both. And which I would expect sinners to do that, but I have to watch myself because let's face it, that is the very nature of sin is to be self-centered. And to be money-centered, is it's very easy to, to see that one. It's the philosophy of, you know, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. If that's your philosophy of money, I'm the whole, you know, I've, I've heard it said of rich people before, the, you know, they, they only accumulate money because that's how you keep score. Well, who needs to keep score? If I'm in him and he's in me, then I've already won. You know, uh, the, the, the whole country has mega millions fever this week. $1.6 billion dollars that we poured into a lottery where each ticket has a, uh, what is it, 320 million to one odds. <laughs> that is not exactly a good bet. But if I won that lottery, I would not, I, I would have more money in my bank account, a whole lot more money in my bank account the day after I won it. But my position would not be any different. If I'm not content before I get the money, I won't be content after I get the money. If I'm not rich in my own nature before I get the money, I won't be. All that money will do is allow you to let your true nature come out. That's why most people, when they, they win the lottery, their lives 10 years after they won the lottery are worse off than they were before they won the lottery. I know it's, it's a cliche, but money cannot buy happiness. It does buy nice toys, though. So... But it got, let me also say, God's not opposed to us having money. He is opposed to two things, though. He's opposed to you being trapped by money and the love of money. But He's also opposed to you being put in a position where you never have to exercise your faith for money. God never wants us beyond a point where we don't have to exercise faith. That's the whole nature of our being, is to put faith and believe God for bigger things. Now... The more money you have, you can believe for bigger things. Your dreams get bigger. But I don't know why I got off on that. Then we had all of the negatives. And these all started with the, the Greek words that, that are prefaced or, or start with the letter alpha, which means against 
or the opposite or anti or um, they were the um, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Basically, it's talking about disobedience to parents. It's not just talking about your direct parents. It's talking about an attitude towards past things that we know are true. You see that represented in our world when, when you know, all of human accumulated knowledge says that marriage is one man and one woman. And the, our world turns around and says, no, marriage is just a relationship between any two, three, four, ten people, dogs, cats, it doesn't matter. You want to marry your cow, marry your cow. I don't care. You define marriage how you want to define marriage. That's what, that is disobedient to parents. That's saying what we have learned through history doesn't matter anymore. I'm a God unto myself. That's exactly what that means. Unthankful doesn't just mean that the, it, it literally means to have no grace, but it also describes this entitled feeling or this entitlement sense that the, the world owes me something. Not really. world could care less about you or your feelings or your position. Uh, unholy doesn't just mean that, that, it's, that, that you are not living right. It means that you are sold out to sin. You are sold out to living against God's will. To be unloving literally means to be hateful, to hold grudges, to, to refuse to forgive. I know God says I should forgive. I'm not doing it. That's, un, that's unloving. That's unforgiving. Without self-control describes a person that says, no, this is how I am and I don't need the power of God to change me because I'm okay the way I am. And where you see this reflected more than any place else is in the homosexual community. God made me this way. He gave me these desires. And so I don't have to change. Don't want to change. Refuse to change. That is without self-control. We, we have an easy time pointing to the homosexuals and saying that's wrong. Sometimes we have that. Well, you know, I just, I have a temper. Well, whoop-de-doo. Welcome to the human race. We all got tempers. The, the point is, learn to control it. Change. You have to ask God to come in and give me and, and fill me with your power and anoint me to be able to change so I don't just blast off at people. You know, the shame is sometimes we want to give people a piece of our mind and when we get done, there's not much left because there wasn't much to start with. We need to hoard. That is one thing we need to hoard is our minds. We need to keep all we got because we need more. Brutal, literally, it's just talking about being a bully. You're going to have your way. I got the strength, I got the ability, and as far as I've got the ability, I'm still going to, I'm going to push till I get my way. If I have to throw a fit, if I have to pout, doesn't matter what I have to do. I want, I know what I want, and I'm going to have it. That's what brutal means. And then the despisers of God, this is people that literally love, instead of loving what is good or, or things that are good, it's, I look for the bad in people. And I try to bring out the worst in people. I just, just if I can twist them right here, I, I know I can turn. 
there, I'll be honest with you, this was one, uh, Jerry and I were talking, and I, I confess something I did back in my early 20s. And um, I had, there was a part of me that just, I just like to stir the pot. I like to just, you know, I would find people, find things that, that I knew would anger them, and I'd just throw it out there just to watch them react, and then sit back and just laugh at them. Look at that fool getting all mad, and throwing a fit. And I'm thinking, never realizing that I'm the fool. Instead of bringing the best out of people, I was trying to bring the worst out of them because I thought it was funny. You know, that's one, I, that's one that I have to watch real, real close. We need to bring out the good in people. And then where we haven't gone, the, there are two that they start with. I call them the pros. Pro means to come before, and it's traitor and headstrong. And it's uh, the first one, the, the Greek word for traitor is uh, protos or protos. I'm not exactly sure. For God's sakes, don't ever take my Greek pronunciation as gospel. Because I can take the same word and pronounce it ten different times when I say it ten, ten times. I'll find, you know, I find creative ways to spell words. I also find creative ways to mispronounce them. The other one is um, headstrong, which is prophetess. Both of these, the, the traitors, it's prodidomai, and to, to didomai means to give something. And what it means is I'm going to surrender before the fight starts. I can see trouble coming, and it's like, nope, nope, sorry, don't want this. You know, the, probably the best example in history that we, we saw that was at um, Hitler with, um, oh, I've lost his name now, the, the Prime Minister of England that, um, before Churchill, Chamberlain. Chamberlain went and, and came back and, and made a treaty with Hitler and came back and got off the plane and waved the, the piece of paper and said, we have peace in our time. And he just made a, made a, signed a paper with a madman who was going to plunge the entire world into war. But he surrendered before he was even really challenged. We need to not, that, that is to be a traitor. That's saying, I, I'm not fighting any of this. I'm just going wherever the stream carries me. Wherever society says that we go. You want to see this one in our present day? Watch a politician. You know where, where the, the one skill all good politicians have? Wet the fingers, stick it up in the air. So it's way, which way is the wind blowing? That's how I'm going to go. That's where the popular opinion's going. That's the direction I go, and they just go with the flow. Those are traitors. Headstrong is propipto. Pipto means to fall, and it means to jump prematurely. This is the, the, the people that just, they jump out of the plane, and then they look around and say, did I put a parachute on here? We sometimes do that. We get, a, we get an idea and we think, man, that sounds good. When you get a really good idea in your head, just remember that Proverbs says there is a way that seems right to man and that way leads to death. Good ideas need to be calculated and thought over and planned and you need to, to submit things before you just jump and run. We don't need to be jumping and runners. We don't need to just jump and, and, and chase every little rabbit. Because the enemy will put rabbits before you and, and all of the time. And then we have the prides, I called them. Um, haughty, boasters, proud. 
The haughty is, is the, the, the word typhu, and this one I had a real problem with because it, the root of that word is for smoke. And it means to rise up in that sense. Someone that's haughty is, goes up like smoke. But it also, it, it, it's, it's to wrap in a vapor. It can mean that. And, and I get the sense that, that people that are this way, they, they, they think they're above everyone else, but there's always something mysterious about them. They, they've got, they, they come off with the appearance that I've got a superior knowledge to the rest of the world. I know some stuff. And, well, share it with me. Well, you know, I, I don't know if I can explain it all. And it's all very mysterious. There's hidden knowledge that you usually attach to this. You can get into this hidden knowledge for a mere $9.95 a month. Which, you know, we have a lot of that. There are boasters. This is the, 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 the Greek word here means to be an empty pretender. We have a, a, or Texans have a word for that. It's all hat, no cattle. You know, if you ever watched back in the day, watched the, um, the movie Urban Cowboy. You could go into these when, when the cowboy craze hit in the, I don't know, 70s, 80s. Um, you could go to these, these bars that were doing line dancing and playing country music, and you'd see these guys outfitted. Man, they had the cowboy hats, they had the western shirts, they had the cowboy boots, and they had never stepped in a cow pie. If you took them out in the middle of a cattle range and let them go, they would starve to death. They, had, they, they were boasters. I've got the looks. I don't know a thing about what it means to really be a cowboy. Cowboys, believe me, cowboy life is, you usually have calluses, places in your body where you don't want to have calluses. Then there's proud, and this literally is, is hyperfiano, which means, uh, fiano means to appear or to shine, and it's someone that wants to always grab the spotlight and put it on them. You can't go into any room and this person, you can go into rooms and you will tell when, when there are certain people, we call it naturally, call it charisma. And people are just naturally attracted to people with charisma, which really it comes from the, the Greek word charos, which means to be anointed. And some people just have those kinds of personalities. But a person that, that is proud like this always wants to take the spotlight and put it. They'll be loud. They'll, be, they'll always have an opinion. They want to let you know what they think. And it's, you know, I, I did something on Facebook. It's one of those little things. What's your first job? What's your first car? Different information. It asks, what's your pet peeve? And I, I was honest. I said... My pet peeve, my real one, lasted from when I was this tall, is unsolicited advice, especially from people who have great ignorance on, about the topic in, under discussion. But you, when, you read, when you run into proud people, they know something about everything. And they know more, usually they think they know more about it than anybody else. We, we need to really work on that and... and of course, the, the greatest thing to do there is to just have the opposite, to be humble. Wait, you know, it says, the Bible says, don't, don't go and take the front seat in a banquet. Go sit in the back and wait for them to call you up front. 
Otherwise, you may get shamed. You may be take the front seat, the seat of prominence, and somebody come tap you on the shoulder and say, we need you to move to the back to make room for so-and-so. And then you realize you're really not quite as shiny as you thought you were. And then we have the, the devils. These two, one is diabolos, the other is blasphemos. It's slanderers and blasphemers. Diabolos literally is translated in most places in the New Testament, devil. And it, but the, the root of the word, it's, it's a slanderer. It's someone that they're always opposed to the cause of God, but they always take the part or act the part of, of the devil, and they side in with him by spreading false and malicious statements that are designed to injure the reputation of someone or something. They're always the people that say, Man, somebody will compliment somebody. Yeah, but do, do you know this about that person? And they'll go into their past and they'll dig something up. You know, we saw a lot of this with uh, the last hearings for the Supreme Court. And I don't care what your, your politics are. All you have to do is think back. <laughs> do you want to be judged today about what you did in high school? Oh, my Lord. I couldn't get a job anywhere if you judged me by how I was in high school. I was, I, well, I was a typical high schooler. You know, I've, I've said it before. I had two of the greatest teenagers that ever lived. My kids, compared to how I was, oh my Lord, they were angels. But they were still crazy. You know, I, 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 um, oh, I forget his name. He was a well-known minister. Said, you know, 13 is when you, you get up in the morning and you realize there's a stranger that's lived with you for 13 years and you don't know where they came from. They, ex they, they, they live in a body that looks just like your child used to look. But you don't understand them at all. And hopefully sometime in their early 20s, whatever switch in their brain got sideways will turn back. But believe me, I met some 50-year-old teenagers. It, it, it doesn't always do that. But these people, when, if you have the tendency to always look and remember, and this one is connected a lot to the unforgiving. I not only don't forgive, but I don't forget. I've heard that from a lot of Christians. Well, I'll forgive the person, but I don't forget. Sorry, you haven't forgiven yet. Now, that doesn't mean you, you allow yourself to be abused or to be taken advantage of. But we need to look for the best in people and be willing to set aside their, their problems from the past. And then blasphemers, this um, literally means it's a combination of blapto and feme, which means to, to hurt by shining a light on someone's faults. We, you know, the most common usage of this that people know is don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Basically, that's people that, that shine a light on the actions of the Holy Spirit or the actions of, of, of God and say, this is not really something you want. This is dangerous. This is devilish. Boy, that's dangerous. But it's also dangerous to do that. It's, it's blasphemous to do that with other people. To say, look at, I know they look good and I know they turned themselves around, but you know what they used to do? You know what they used to be? I don't care what they used to be. I know what I used to be and I know I'm not there now. Amen? 
I need to look for where they are. And, and if they're having problems, you know, 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. I love this verse. This is, this is talking about the end times too. Verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We don't need to be shining lights on people's faults. We need to be covering up their faults and encouraging them to do better. Now I know there are lots of scriptures that, that talk about shine your light on, on sin. That's talking about you doing to you. I need to shine a light inwardly on myself and examine my sin nature and my proclivity to go the wrong way. And as I expose those things to the light, they will be changed. If I'm prideful, I will say, I have no, there's no need for me to change. I'm perfect. Lots of luck with that one. And then the, the last part of, of that section in 1 Timothy says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's a contrast. Lovers of pleasure literally means to have phileo for hedonism. Hedonism is a philosophy that says pleasure or happiness is the highest good and I'm going to devote my entire life to seeking pleasure. When that's your attitude and, and you pour yourself into that attitude, that's being a lover of pleasure. I'm just looking for the next thing. You, you can see it as something as simple as an adrenaline junkie. You know, um, I for, oh, it was um, um, I was having breakfast with somebody, and we were we had finished eating. We were talking, having a long discussion, and we asked the waitress, "Look, do you need us to get out of here? Because we'll go sit in the truck and talk. Because we don't want to hold your table up." She said, "No, it's my first day back at work after having 40 days off, and I don't really, you know, I could use a break. So sit here as long as you want." He said, well, we just were curious. He said, well, where'd you go on your vacation? Oh, I went to Europe to do base jumping. Base jumping? Yeah, where you go up on a cliff or a bridge and you have a parachute on and you grab this little, little chute and you dive off and you've got a thousand feet, maybe less. And you throw that thing out and if your parachute comes out fine, you don't have a reserve chute because there's no time. And she told us in the 30 or 40 days that she was base suiting, base jumping, that it's kind of a small club, obviously. Um, not a lot of people are that, that, and they're all adrenaline junkies. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's evil. What I'm saying is they're so addicted to the thrill of that, they're willing to risk their lives. She said in that 30 days worldwide in this club, and it's a few hundred members worldwide, four people had leapt to their death. They pulled that thing out and their chute didn't, it malfunctioned. And you don't have time to get another one out. Well, I love, I am, I am a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. I like to get mine out of roller coasters. Scare me, make me think I'm going to die, but I'm perfectly safe the whole time. That's what I want. But that can't be everything. If that's, the, if that's the extent of my life, if that's the direction of my life, then and, and not lovers of God, which this is um, philos, love, the brotherly love, but it's, it's philos for theos, for God. 
I have my, my, he's saying here, Paul's saying here, don't worry about feeling good. Don't worry about doing things that are going to bring you pleasure. You need to worry about following God and loving Him so much that your entire life, your entire life's aim is to just do what He wants you to do. We saw this last week, and I'm not going to go back and read it again, but in John 21, the three places where Jesus confronted Peter, Remember, when, when Peter denied Jesus, he left mentally. Now, he was there in the upper room, but mentally, I'm not, a, I'm not a disciple anymore. Went back to fishing, and Jesus went after him, pulled him ashore, gave him some food, and they're sitting there eating, they finished the meal, and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you agape me? Which is a self-sacrificing, I'll do anything, and I don't expect anything in return. Peter answered him honestly and said, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I know the agape's up here. That's how you operate. I'm here and I can do this. And he said, okay, feed my lambs. And then he came back to me and said, Peter, do you agape me? Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said, then tend my sheep. And then the third time when Peter really got hurt, he said, Peter, do you phileo me? He really questioned him hard. And Peter's mind, he's thinking, three times he's questioned my love, three times I denied him, he's throwing it in my face. And Peter said, Lord, you know that, you know everything. You know that I do phileo you. And Jesus answered, feed my sheep. And then at the end, he said, follow, my, follow me. To love God, whether it's agape or phileo, and most of us weave in and out of agape, we live in phileo. We, we, even with God, it's hard to, to, to live a self-sacrificing life. But to love God is to do His will. These three scriptures, and I'm gonna, we started there in John 21. Look at John um, 10, 17. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Jesus says, God the Father loves me because I lay down my life. God's responding to Jesus' action. John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. John uh, 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus is saying, You say you love me, show me that you love me. Your words without actions are empty. It's exactly the next phrase there in, in 2 Timothy 3. The people who live like all of these descriptive words we've just looked at, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They say they love God, but they don't serve God. God, Jesus, who is God, when He confronted Peter and He was restoring Peter, He got pointed with Peter. He said, Peter, do you really love me? Then show me by serving my church. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed tend my sheep. Follow me. We only, the, the opposite of everything that we've listed here that the world is today, we can only counter that by following God and tending to His sheep and, and being the church. We need to quit doing church and start being the church. I mean, it's, doing church is really easy. 
There's a set of rules. You can go to any church and you, all you got to do is go to two or three services and you can figure out 90% of the rules. But being the church, that's a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week, 52 weeks out of the year job. Being a little bitty Christ, being a Christian, which means to be like Christ. These people that, that have a form of godliness have all the outward trappings. I remember when, when Gina and I were at Rama, we had this was when cable was just first starting. And we had one public access, or well, it was the religious station. And part of the day it would be TBN. Part of the day it would be CBN, and part of the day it was public access. And it just happened, I would get home from school, and I'd have about two hours to catch a little nap, eat some lunch, and then go to work. And I worked till midnight. During that time, they always had the, the um, Unitarian Church had their broadcast. And this guy would get up, and it was sometimes it was his sermon. Usually it was him sitting at a desk talking. And it was amazing to me because he would make fun of Christians. But when you'd go to his church service, it looked just like our church services. They would have, work, they would have music. He would get up. Now, when he got up to preach, he never opened the Bible, but he'd give you a nice poem. He'd give you an encouraging word. And encourage you now go and be nice. And then when you when you would have the broadcast days where he just talked to you, he he especially I, I that was in in Broken Arrow Tulsa area, he would just laugh and make fun of Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagen and and um, T L Osborne was was uh, headquartered there. And he just laugh about these charismatics, these Pentecostals, these crazy people, all the stupid stuff they do. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a church. This is a church that claims to worship God. And yet they have, they don't expect God. They, they say God has no power. Actually, the God that you worship doesn't exist. God is just a, 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 um, it's just a social construct. That is one of the new modern terms. God is just a social construct that we have imagined that helps soothe our conscience because we don't always do the right things. They had the form, but they denied the power. God can't, there is no real God, and He cannot come in and change your life. Well, if that's your attitude, guess what? That's exactly what you get. This isn't just saying that, that, that something's not true. It's a conscious decision on someone's part to say, I don't want to ha have anything to do with the transforming power of Jesus. What's Paul say from this kind of people? Turn away. You don't want to have anything to do with them. Now, let's go on and, and, and read, and I'm going to try to do this very quickly. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, Paul goes on. He gives the alternative. He said, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, which is there, it's agape love, my perseverance, my persecutions, my afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Now, the interesting thing, if you go back in, in the book of Acts and look at what happened when, when Paul went to Antioch and then he went to Iconum and then to Lystra. When he was in Lystra, 
the, Jew, the Jews that he had stirred up in, in, in um, Antioch and Iconium followed him to Lystra, and they stirred up the crowd. And the end of it was they took him outside the city and they stoned him. My opinion, I, I, you can agree with me or disagree with me, I think they killed him. I think they stoned him to death. Jews knew how to stone people. You didn't, wasn't too many people that, that got away. But it says afterwards, the disciples gathered around him and prayed for him. And notice what Paul said after this about the, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Didn't mean that Paul didn't get stoned, but they killed him and the church prayed and God raised him up. Why? Because he wasn't done. And Paul, in, 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 I think it's in the writings to Corinthians, says what these light afflictions that I have endured... You know, I had some students one time, and, and I, can, I can identify with um, both the parents and the student that we heard gave their testimony. When I went to school, lunchtime was fun. Man, we just, we had a raucous time. You got your belly full, and you just joked and cut up and had fun. But I also remember when I taught in the public schools, especially the last few years, um, we had, um, during one of the early years that I was at my last school, we started a Fellowship of Christian Athletes club. And the same day that we started that, we had an initial meeting. Our, one of the other teachers started a, um, um, a club, a gay pride club, basically. We had four students, and they had 50 students. So that tells you the attitudes in, our, in that school. It was literally... We were walking, but I remember some of these kids came to me one time, and they were nearly in tears, and they said, we're being persecuted. I said, well, what happened? Well, some kids threw some crackers at us at lunch. And to them, it was traumatic. And I'm not, I'm not denigrating, but I'm thinking, wow. Paul said it was getting stoned was a light affliction, and these kids are really traumatized by having crackers thrown at them. We, we need to toughen up a little, but, but notice what, what Paul says, Timothy, you followed my doctrine, that's my teaching, my manner of life, how I actually applied that doctrine, what my purpose was, what my faith was, my long-suffering. That literally is, that word there means to keep the fire burning for a long time. When everybody else is trying to put your fire out, you keep stoking the flames. By the love, the perseverance, the persecutions and afflictions. All of these things God delivered me out of. Verse 12, this is one of, I know this is one you want to pull out of the promise box every morning. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, thank you, Lord, that really encouraged me. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those that hate God are going to continue to get worse. Life out there, now we can have an influence on our world, and I'm, I'm believing for and praying for and doing everything I can to see another great awakening, to see our country changed at heart. But you're only going to see that if you get masses of people born again and see them transformed on the inside and, and see their minds transformed. Depending on where we are in God's timetable, that may or may not happen. And part of that is dependent on us as the church. How, how willing are we to suffer persecution to proclaim the gospel? Because if we're not willing to suffer persecution to, to proclaim the gospel, if we go, you know, pull the turtle act and go hide our, our, our light under the, the bushel basket, then the, the, there's no hope for the world. 
Verse 14, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He didn't learn them from Paul. He learned them from the Holy Spirit through Paul. And that's the difference. I can teach you all kinds of things. I've got a guy that I really follow. I love his teaching. And I'm going to tell you, he's just as wrong as he can be. I heard him recently. He he is a hyper-Calvinist. He preached on a limited atonement. Jesus only died for those that he's going to save. And everybody else, Jesus' blood doesn't apply to them. I'm telling you, that's heresy. Jesus' blood applied, was applied to all the sins except the sin of you not accepting what his sacrifice did. Because if you turn away a gift, you can't receive the gift. God can, he will not, he's given us free will. You cannot, God will not force you to get saved. But other than that, all your sins are forgiven. But it's, 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 we have to learn that from, through people, but it's the Holy Spirit that will teach you. I still listen to this man because there are areas where he has great learning and can give me great insight. But I do it, I know there are certain things I, can, I have to reject. And I'm all, when I listen to him, and I don't listen to him a lot, and I read after him some, but I have to always have, be on the alert. Is this, is this really from you, God, or is this just him being his hyper-Calvinist self? We need to learn things from individuals, but we need to allow God to teach us directly through these individuals enlightening us from, with the Word. And notice he said, this is the emphasis, verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. It's the Scriptures that taught Timothy which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It's God-breathed. The same action that God did with Adam in the Garden of Eden, He made the body, He stood it up, and He breathed His essence into that body. That God does the same thing when we dig into the Word God will breathe life into that Word, and that Word will bring life to you. Amen? And that's what we're looking for. We're we're looking to get the breath of God out of the Scriptures. And it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproving us, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It'll tell me what I need to believe. It'll rebuke me when I'm wrong. It'll correct me when I'm wrong. And it'll give me instructions on how to live right. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The whole point, going back to John 21, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, tend my sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. Follow me. It's not what you believe, it's how you live. And it's how close you live to my direction. Now, in the midst of that, we also need to not get into the habit where we're ready to judge all the world's sin. God has never called me to judge anyone's sin but my own. But when I judge mine and when I live a holy life, then people can look at me and if I'm I'm walking in, in God's grace, it will attract people. Because my message isn't you're a dirty, nasty, rotten sinner. My message is there's a way out of the problems you've got. And His name is Jesus. And He has the power to pull you up out of the muck. I heard a story where, where this guy was saying, you know, um, and I can't go through all of the alliterations he did, but when, when you can judge people by how they treat someone that comes in that's fallen into a pit. 
And you know what Jesus does when he finds you in a pit? He jumps in with you. He doesn't stand up to the pit and say, you know, if you'll do this and this and this and this, you can get out of that pit. He doesn't walk by like the Pharisee does and say, you're in a pit because you did this and this and this. You deserve to be there. No, he just jumps down and he boosts you up out of there. That's what we need to do. When we see people that are having problems, we need to jump in there with them. That's why Paul said, I become all things to all men. That doesn't mean he becomes a drunk with the drunk. But when he finds a drunk, he goes and gets in, in, the, in the, the barrel of, of bourbon with the guy and says, we don't have to stay here. I can help you swim out. I used to lifeguard. I had to get in the water to save the people that I saved. And I saved a few of them. But I had to get wet to get them out of the water that was killing them. That's what God's called us to do. Jump in. Don't become, don't jump in and say, oh, I'm identifying with you. Look, and start drowning yourself. Then you're both going to die. That's why I've heard people say, well, yeah, I go to the bars and I drink with, with people. Don't, don't twist this stuff. I don't help drunks by becoming a drunk. I helped a drunk by getting down in that with them and telling them this isn't how you have to live. I don't help addicts by becoming an addict. I help people by going and saying, I used to be just like you. Alcohol wasn't my problem. Heroin wasn't my problem. But we have one common problem, and that's sin. Your sin is manifesting itself as alcohol. Your sin is manifesting it as, as addiction. Your sin is manifesting it as pride. I'm not going to tell you what my, how my sin addicted be, or manifested itself, because that doesn't matter. What matters is I'm not there anymore. Let me show you how I got out. There's hope. That's the whole message of the gospel. And what does Paul say? He goes on. This, you know, we divide this up for, for studying purposes in chapter and verse. Paul didn't write it in chapter and verse. He's continuing the same thought in, in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God. That literally means, the, the Greek word there is dia martyrio. Dia means through the agency of something. If, 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 if you need money, and I'm rich, I'm Bill Gates rich, and I come and give you a million dollars, but I did it because God told me to do it. The money's coming from God, but He's coming through the agency of me. I'm His agent. When Paul says, I charge you, he, it's a command, but it's through the agency, and that literally that word there, martyrio, is the Greek word for martyr. Now, we think of martyrs as somebody who dies. Yes, that's exactly right. He said, I am going to, to charge you. I'm telling you that through the agent of you giving up your life, you have been bought with a price. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives through me and in me. He paid everything for me. I owe him everything I am. And everything I've got, there's nothing. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he told me, he said, he's got all kinds of equipment and stuff. And, and I was just, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy. I mean, you, if, it, if it has a key and it starts and goes vroom, I love it. If it's got levers and things move, I love it. I just like machines. They're fun. 
and we were looking at some of his machines. And he said, yeah, I bought this one so so-and-so could use it to help him out in his business. And I looked at him, I said, it's like a $15,000, $20,000 piece of equipment that goes on to another piece of equipment. It's not even, it can't even be used by itself. It just goes on something else. He said, yeah, I bought it to help this guy out. He said, nothing I own is mine. He said, I, t I decided a long time ago, this is all God's. Everything I own is God's. I'll give it away. I'll, I'll do things so other people can use them. He said, none of this matters to me. I'll give it all away tomorrow if God says to. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy is sold out to God. That's what Paul's saying here. I charge you, I want you to give up your life before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. And here's the command. Preach the Word. Our entire life has to revolve around what does the Word say. If I can't find in this Scripture a, a verse that has the answer for me and my problem, I'm lost. So I need to dig into it and read it, eat it, consume it, understand it, study it until I know when a problem presents it, I know where to go and find it. What we are as Christians is we need to take this, and I've said it before, and I, I think everybody's had this experience. We had a guy in a church I was associate pastor years ago. He got saved. He'd never been churched in his life. We gave him a Bible. He'd never owned a Bible. He was also unemployed. The company he worked for had moved him and his whole family, actually a whole crew, to Jeffersonville to work in a manufacturing plant in Jeff. And they no more. They worked about 30 days there, and they closed the plant down. Said, guys, you're out of work. Sorry, I know you moved halfway across the country, but you're stuck. No severance pay, nothing. You're, you're fired. Walk out the door. And they were stuck. And he looked at this Bible, and he's, he's going through the, the table of contents because he'd never, he'd never opened a Bible before. And he said, this is, I need to start right here, the book of Job, because I need one. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I got a greenie here. He really does not know anything. But you know the great part about being a pastor with someone like that? Man, they are so hungry. They're excited about, you know, they have seen the light. They knew where they were and they know where they are now. And if you'll just nourish that, that eagerness a little bit, and, and, and he, did, he did, he dove in. And we helped him and he became, he became a great asset to that church. Actually, he ended up probably through his agency, I mean, through his actions, he brought his entire family, extended family. We probably got 40 or 50 church members out of that, all related to him. Because, I mean, when he got saved, he went and told everybody he knew, and most of the only people he knew were family members. But Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out. What's that mean? That means do it when it's convenient, do it when it's not convenient. Do it when it's easy. Do it when it's hard. The Word has to be the principal thing all the time, day in, day out. That is our life. We, we have to die to, and by dying, I just mean our life cannot revolve around anything. Remember, 
One of the, several of the words there where they were lovers of things. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do my commandments. If you love me, you're going to get into my word. Because all scriptures God breathes, but we have to preach the word. So I have to, I, basically the best thing I can preach is what I live. If I don't live it, it's not going to, it's not going to ring true. I can, I can stand up and genuinely testify that God has delivered me. Why? Because I know where I was and I know where I am. And I haven't arrived, but I'm on the train. At least I'm not stuck back where I was, where I started. Well, that's the message we have for people. Because I've had people say, well, I just don't know what I can, how I can preach to people. Tell them what God did in your life this week. Well, he hadn't done much. Well... Maybe that's the problem. What are you asking him to do? Where are you shining your light? Believe me, we always have, and all of us, there, there are no exceptions to this rule, we all have the temptation to be the Pharisee who stands back and says, God, thank you that I'm not a sinner like that guy. Well, I can say that. Thank God I'm not the sinner that John Roberts used to be. Because I'm embarrassed by some of the things I did. Embarrassed by the way I thought and my, what my motivations were for the way I lived. Thank God I'm not there anymore. But I'm still, man, when I look down in my core sometimes, when I hear things come out of my mouth and I think, oh, where did that come from? I thought I, thought I had dealt with that. Well, evidently not. Because it's still there. And, and all of those tendencies, they're still there. we got to preach the Word. First and foremost, the greatest sermon you will ever hear, the one you preach to yourself. You know your, you know your needs, hopefully. Hopefully you're not so deceived that you don't know your own needs. You need to go find Scripture and preach to yourself and then offer help to anyone who asks for the help. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.